When my family and I were living in China, we would spend a couple weeks every year in the country of Thailand for a conference that we would attend there. If you have ever been to the country of Thailand, you know that the Thai people are among the sweetest people on earth. Thailand is called the land of smiles. And it's true. Thai people are always smiling. In fact, one time my husband, he, he was looking down at a map. Do you remember what those are? He was looking down at a map and he stepped out into the road. And a driver had to slam on his brakes, screech to a halt, and stop right in front of him to keep from hitting him. And my husband, knowing he was totally at fault, looks up, ready to just get yelled at. And when he looks up, the Thai driver smiles, waves, and drives on. I mean, that is how friendly the Thai people are. And there are several different ways to get around in Thailand, but one of our favorite ways to get around in Thailand was by tuk-tuk. Has everyone, anyone ever seen a tuk-tuk before? Here is a picture for you, right? See, there's a smiling Thai person. So it's basically a three-wheeled motorcycle with a bench in the back. And you ride in the bench in the back behind the driver. And through many tuk-tuk rides in Thailand, we learned a few lessons. Well, first of all, I just have to say, I love riding in tuk-tuks. They are super fun to just drive around in the city. You feel like you're part of all the life that's happening on the streets. There's the colors, the smells. It's all just very vibrant. So it was one of my favorite ways to get around. And we learned a few things as we did all these tuk-tuk rides. And the first lesson we learned was that it helps to tell the driver where you want to go with a Thai accent, okay? We didn't speak Thai because we lived in China. Um, And most drivers could speak some English. Uh, But, for example, we, we would stay at a guest house called the Juniper Tree. But if you went up to a driver and said, we'd like to go to the Juniper Tree, they may not understand you. So if you instead say, juniper tree, they say, oh yes, juniper tree. And they take you to juniper tree. So if you want to go get some fast food, you would say, McDonald's. And they would understand. So that was the first lesson. Say English words with a Thai accent. The second thing we learned about tuk-tuks in Thailand was that you would ask a driver to take you somewhere and he would almost always say yes whether he knew where that place was or not. Because you see, the Thai people are so friendly and hospitable that to say no would be rude. It would be inhospitable to you as a guest in their country. So they would always say yes. And it wasn't until you were driving around the city multiple times that you realized, I don't think he knows where we're going. Didn't we we just go by that a while ago? 
And so you're, you're driving around and the, the driver, he'd get on his cell phone and he'd be talking, but you're, yeah, we didn't speak Thai, so we don't know, is he asking for directions? Is he know where are we, are we ever going to get there? And, um, eventually he would stop and get out and talk to somebody and generally by the hand motions, we could tell that he was, you know, getting directions. Like, okay. And, you know, the driver would smile and say, it's okay. And, and get in the tuk-tuk and we would keep going. And most of the time you would get where you were needing to go. Sometimes the driver would stop the tuk-tuk and motion for you to get out. And with shame on his face, he would say, sorry, and then drive off. (laughs) Because you see, it's hard to admit when you don't know where you're going. We like to appear like we know where we're going. We know how to get there. We, we know how to do life, right? We don't like to admit when we don't. When we're lost and need help. When we're stuck and can't find a better way. Sometimes we can be stuck in bondage and not want anyone to know. Sometimes we can be stuck in bondage and not want to admit it to ourselves. And I think that's exactly what Satan wants. He doesn't want us to know the bondage we're in, the freedom that we're missing out on. He whispers, it's okay. So we distract ourselves and numb ourselves and just try to forget about it. And in doing so, we stay stuck. But what if we said, no, it's it's not okay. What if we said, I believe that God has freedom for me. And I'm going to go on an intentional journey to find it. You know, last night I asked that you would be praying and thinking about what area of your life is there bondage? Where does God want to bring freedom? By speaking his truth into me so that I can step into that freedom. And maybe you know your bondage right away. You know, you don't even have to think about it. You're like, I know my struggle. Maybe you, you're not sure and you've been thinking about it and, and you're still not really sure. I, I want to walk through a list of different areas of bondage. Okay. And as we do this, just see what the Holy Spirit sparks in you. Might be helpful to jot these down. Um, we're going to, in a few minutes, have a time of sharing with your journey companions. Okay. And you're going to share what area of bondage God wants to bring freedom. So first thing on the list is one that I shared last night. A relational wound, forgiveness or unforgiveness, right? I shared my story of how I was deeply hurt and I believed the lie that the person who had hurt me had to understand 
and acknowledge what they had done wrong. In order to forgive, that had to happen. And no matter how many conversations we had, that wasn't happening. See, a lot of times when we're, when we're stuck in bondage, we think that freedom means God changing the situation. God fixing the problem. But as you heard from my story last night, the only thing that changed in that situation was my own heart. And that brought freedom. Another area of bondage, I shared an example, was in marriage. Is this an area of dissatisfaction, of discontent for you? Whether you're married or or discontent in, in singleness. Is that an area of bondage for you? What about your, your role, significance, identity? I shared that example last night for me. You know, sometimes you don't know what your identity is wrapped up in until you experience the loss of it. And then you're left floundering. Who, who am I without this? That's when you get to peel back the bondage and find the lies that you didn't even know you were living in. The ways that you were finding your identity in places other than Christ. What about achievement or success? And the opposite of that, which is failure. How does that drive you? What does that mean to you? What does success mean for you? And how would you feel if you don't get it? You know, there, it, it can be easy to, to judge like the, the worldly definition of success, but what about success in, in ministry, success in parenting? What does that mean for you? And is that a continual struggle? Motherhood and grandmotherhood. Right, Spellcheck tried to tell me that grandmotherhood is not a word, but I say that it is. Right, grandmas? Grandmotherhood is totally a thing. Yes. Is your well-being dependent on the well-being or success of your children or grandchildren? Is your well-being dependent on your children or grandchildren's well-being or success. If it is, that's an area of bondage. Community and friendship. I remember a season of my life where I longed for deep, rich community, friendships. And what I realized eventually was that My ideal of community was keeping me from experiencing and embracing the community and friendships that were in front of me. We can be in bondage to our own ideals. My body. Man, does Satan like to get at us through this one. 
the lies we believe about our bodies and the bondage that that creates. The dissatisfaction, the discontent, the shame in which we view our own bodies and the way we treat our own bodies. Maybe this is the issue of bondage that God wants to speak in to you today. My past. Is there shame in your past that you can't shake free? Does your shame make you want to hide your story, hide who you are? Like Jackie shared last night in the amazing spoken word she did. Do you hide behind that smile? My present sin. Is there a current sin struggle that you just can't overcome? You just can't beat? You don't know how to get help because you're terrified of anyone knowing about this. People's opinions of me. Do you feel trapped in a cycle of people-pleasing? One of the symptoms, you're exhausted. My image. This goes along with people's opinions of me, but it has to do with the desire to impress with your wardrobe, with your home, through your Instagram. How do people view me? Do I impress Pleasure. Right? We all love fun things, right? But are you constantly living for the next fun thing? The next enjoyable thing that will make you feel good? Is your happiness dependent on the next fun thing? How about security for the future? We like security, don't we? What if you don't have this? What if you have it and lose it? Can you be okay without it? Is security what drives you and makes you feel okay? In control. That's, that's the list that I'm going to go through right now. This is not an exhaustive list, right? Your area of bondage may not be on this list. We can go ahead and put the whole, the whole list up there. Maybe. Um, but was there something in that that sparked something in you? We're going to move into a time of sharing with, with your groups. If you weren't here with us last night, we, we just form groups of three or four people. No more than that. And, and we're just going to share um, what area of bondage we're, we're struggling with, what area God wants to bring us freedom in. Because after this session is over, we're going to move into a time, you're going to have time alone with God to work through your retreat guide. And this is kind of a time to, to prepare for that. And we don't want to force anyone to be more vulnerable than you are ready to be. Okay? Don't, don't feel that pressure. Only share what, what God 
what you feel like God is, is urging you to share. Okay. But remember that speaking a struggle out loud can help you begin to identify the lies that you believe, the lies that have you in that bondage. Okay. So we're going to give you this time, um, form a group of three or four, no more than that, so that everybody has a chance to share. And we're going to, you, going to give you the next 15 minutes to share where you're at. Where do you want God to bring freedom in your life? Go ahead and do that. All right. <clears throat> Hopefully, you have identified an area of bondage in your life. Remember, we are preparing for the time that you're going to have with the Lord at the end of this session. And when you get to that time, you're going to settle in and you're going to pray And invite the Holy Spirit into your time. And you're going to journal through some questions to help guide you in the journey of moving from bondage to freedom. And you're going to dig into a passage of scripture. Mark 5. But before you do that, I want to set the scene for you. If you turn in your Bibles to Mark 5, 21. Mark 5, 21. You will see that there are two stories going on here. A dying girl and a sick woman. Some translations say um, the, the woman with the issue of blood. Or the woman with the flow of blood. How would you like for that to be how you are known for 2,000 years? In In this story, Jesus arrives on the scene like a rock star. Crowds are swarming him. Have you ever been in a crowd like that where you're just pressed up against people? Right? And have you ever tried to like get through a crowd like that? It's really hard. But there's someone who makes it through this crowd straight to Jesus. Straight in front of Jesus. Because you see, this man is an important guy. He's a synagogue leader. So people make way for him. And he gets right in front of Jesus. And says, my daughter is dying. Please, come put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. You know, I've always kind of pictured the story of the bleeding woman who, when she reaches out and touches Jesus, that Jesus and the crowd are kind of walking along. But then it it dawned on me and I grasped the situation. There is a little girl dying here. If you have ever known the feeling of thinking that your child is dying, you know the desperation with which Jairus is wanting to get Jesus to his daughter as quickly as possible 
So they are not just walking along here. They are rushing. But there's an interruption. A woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. I mean, we all know what it's like to have our monthly time. In fact, uh, recently I was um, talking with my daughter because she's getting closer to that age and just wanting to help her know what to expect. So I kind of walked through it with her and she goes, no, I'm not doing that. I said, well, you don't really have a choice. And neither did this woman. But this woman was hemorrhaging a heavy flow of blood for 12 years. Can you imagine how weak she must have been? 12 years. Did you know that the dying girl in this story, Jairus' daughter, is also 12 years old? You know, it's not a coincidence. The Bible doesn't mention these details by mistake. You see, 12 is code language in the Bible for faith community. Right? The 12 tribes of Israel. In this story, we have two people on the opposite ends of the faith community spectrum. Jairus is a synagogue leader. This woman is an unclean person. Because of her condition, she is not allowed to go into the synagogue. She's unclean. So it would have been Jairus' job as one of the synagogue leaders to make sure that this woman did not come into the synagogue. So... How do you think he would have viewed her, this penniless, unclean woman, who is distracting Jesus? She she is interrupting Jairus getting Jesus to his dying daughter. What would he think about that? How would he view her in this moment? But how does Jesus react to her? Well, the, the passage tells us her backstory. It says she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. It doesn't take too much imagination to read into this situation. She had suffered a great deal under the care of Of many doctors. Given the kind of condition that she had, one could guess, and it is just guessing, but one could guess that the doctors may have taken more than her money. She spent everything she had to pay for a possible solution. She was forever hoping that this next thing would fix her. Maybe this. 
Maybe this. Only to be left empty. She was without hope, without money, stuck in a bondage of suffering and shame. Longing for freedom. And then she has an encounter with Jesus. And I'm going to leave it here. Because you are going to go and have an encounter with Jesus. You are going to go walk through this story. This woman. And what Jesus does in her.